The VMPR family had an incredible weekend this year. Terry, tell us about it. You've been putting on concerts yeah. for 42 years. Yeah. Give me your pulse. Yeah. Give me your read over the weekend. Well, we're blessed to have Father Chad and his team and Jesse there yesterday uh, over the weekend for the Spiritual Warfare Conference. All of the material that our benefactors are going to get today, they're going to be getting a link in the, uh, within the hour we're waiting for YouTube to confirm it was put up. You're going to be able to listen and watch all the talks. And these were talks dealing with spiritual warfare for the family, really de generating yeah. interest on mom and dad and the kids. Every single person on the planet should listen to these. They should grab them, take them home, and then invite people over for a socialization where you pray the rosary, mm -hmm. have a meal, watch one of the presentations. It's very valuable. As I was telling Jesse, Jess, out of all this, since 1978, we've been putting on different conferences. And I said, this has got to be the best. And I'll tell you why. Because it was focused on the family, on mm -hmm. spiritual warfare. And right now, we need it more than ever. So I just want to say thanks. It goes out to Father Chad and his crew because they were amazing. The content, uh, again, is just something everybody's going to want. Now, if you're not a monthly donor and you still want to hear it, you can do that. We'll uh, make it available by just going online to uh, vmpr.org and register for the conference in the sense that you'll register to get the uh, recordings by a link. But Jess, um, I just got to say, this is a beautiful conference. There were a lot of people there. It was about 650 people packed into an auditorium. If we, would, if we would have had a, a place of 5,000, oh, yeah. we filled it up. Yeah, I think, I think we yeah. could fill many, many more. Jeez. Also, I just wanted to say, there's uh, one of our policemen who volunteers uh, fell off a horse hours after the conference, okay? Oh. But he understood redemptive suffering because I was with him. I took him to the hospital. I've been out the hospital for hours waiting for him. And uh, we were chuckling, but he said, you know what, Terry? I, I, I don't know how. I, I, I'm just going to offer up all this pain because I fractured his elbow. And it's really, you know, not good. They, they kind of popped it back in, but he's, he's out for some time. But he understood redemptive suffering. So I'm going to offer this up for the graces from the, the weekend's conference. See, that's... And then, Jesse, I just barely got into the studio right now. As uh, soon as I'm putting stuff away, a guy calls me and says, hey, my wife died. I got married at your Sacred Heart Chapel 38 years ago. Can I have my funeral for my wife at your chapel? I brought him over. I spent 30 minutes with him, found out he's a fallen away Catholic. Right after COVID, when COVID hit, he never came back. Guess what, Jess? He wasn't even going to have a mass for his wife. I catechized him, and enough through the grace of God, and he's coming to the Our Lady of Grace Parish here now for Mass. He said, yes, I want to come back. He just needed somebody to welcome him and invite him back and say, you, this, I said, do you, I, I explained, you haven't had the Eucharist in two years? When was the last time you had the confession, dude? Uh, I don't know. Well, you need to go. Go before the funeral. You know, the point I'm trying to say, Jess, spiritual warfare, what's happening is, We've lost the zeal to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. And on, on, on the this is what I'm saying. We just need to invite people back. And that's what we're doing here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Jesse, today's a day. This is the 31st of January, Don Bosco's feast day. I get all that. But we have a good friend of ours. Both you and I know. I've known. Well, I'm trying to think. When did I first meet Deal Hudson? It might have been in the late 70s or 80s, somewhere in there. Wow. And, yeah, way back. Because I have a question I asked him about, about C.S. Lewis that people are going to find out. It's fascinating. Why did C.S. Lewis 
not become a Catholic? Wait, wait till you hear the answer. I mean, I was I was fascinated 30, 40 years ago to ask that question. But Deal has a book called Desecrators Defeating the Council, the Cancel Culture Mob. I love that mob and reclaiming one nation under God. He's got the one of the best publishers in the business, Tan Books. He's he's been endorsed by Mark Levin, uh, Doctor Aliva King, Father Frank Pavone. And I'm sure Jess Romero will endorse this book, too. Am I right, Jess? <laughs> I'm a nobody, Terry, but of course, he also wrote it along with Matt Schlapp. So it's yeah. Deal Hudson and Matt Schlapp. Together. Yeah, can you imagine that? Though? No, that's uh, a good one-two punch. Yeah, that's that's some power but, up. But, that's some serious uh, intel right there. And what we're going to do is in the, in the second, third, and fourth segment, we're going to talk about why this book is important for America, for our church. But uh, Jess... Before we do any of that, can you uh, give let, us? Let me a just mention oh, something about this weekend, Terry. I'm glad that uh, this weekend we all ca- we all got to meet oh, the VM- first time the NPR people and the Liber Christu people with Father Richard. That's right. It was good that we all met. Oh, of course. Uh, because we we've all heard of each other. I, yeah. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> Father I, said that. Yeah, he, yeah. Said. Father, as soon as he saw you, good. I heard, I heard all him. heard all about you. Yeah. Well, don't believe anything you heard. That's what yeah. I told him. Yeah, so uh, it, it was good, and obviously you've heard about him, and yeah, and, and, and uh, so it was good. I think it was just because again we want Terry and myself. We're all about collaborating with people. Exactly, we you and I've been doing that for decades, Jesse. Yeah, and I, I don't like people. I don't like my, Catholics that that have a ghetto mentality. Say it's, it's just it's my just ball. My, it, it's my ball, my no. marbles. You can't play with that. <laughs> we're not, we've never been like Terry and me are bridge builders. Exactly, Ter, Terry and me literally we make an effort. We, we want to unite the clans. We don't just talk about no. it. You know, it's just rhetoric. Throw that word out there. We're always trying to unite with people. Right. Okay. So yeah. All right. Well, before out. we do the the gospel, I want to also have you talk a little bit about Saint John Bosco, who's a great saint. But we call it for those who are brand new, because a lot of the people got uh, downloads over the weekend for us to be on our on our network, and I welcome you to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Jesse reads the gospel and then gives what I call a Joe Sixpack commentary. It's just common sense, and uh, his insights on reading scripture are always for the common Joe, not for the erudite you know, yeah. theologian. I take Scott Hahn's theology and break it down. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a Hahn-aholic. Right. Yeah, yeah, there you go, Hahn-aholic. So let's yeah. get some gospel. Uh, for, we call it soul food, Jess. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Yep. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the, ter- to the territory of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs who had an unclean spirit met him. That means he was demonically possessed. It's yeah. the same, that's the phrase that's used in the New Testament, unclean spirits. And notice he's in the tombs. Demons drive people towards the ideation of suicide. So notice where he's found around the tombs mm. because demons are always pre- pressing human behavior towards suicide. It says the, um, the man had been dwelling among the tombs and no one could restrain him any longer. Even, even with a chain. Here's another thing. What demons try to do is try to get you isolated away from the church, away from the mass, okay. away from the sacraments, away from a community life. And this way, it's easy for them to continue projecting into your mind and your emotions. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. Nobody loves you. You're a loser. It says, in fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles smashed and no one was strong enough to subdue him. That's what's known as the one of the four characteristics of possession, preternatural strength. 
Night and day among the tombs and on the hillside, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Father Gabriel of Mortis says that the goal of a demon is to get you to injure your body. We see it right there. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Notice the demons recognized who Jesus Christ was, his divine nature, and they prostrated themselves. They didn't stand up and receive Holy Communion in their hand and cup their hand. They prostrated themselves. That means they got on their knees. He had been saying to him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. He asked him, what is your name? Hmm. Uh, notice, that's what, that's what a mandated exorcist of the bishop have the authority to ask the, the demon his name. What does it do? It weakens the demon once the priest or the bishop gets the name. Why? It's like a cop who pulls you over. And what's your name? I'm going to give you a ticket. I'm not going to give you my name. Uh, let me see your license. I'm not going to give you my license. The cop is kind of powerless. Okay, he can't write John Doe on the ticket. Nope. It isn't until the cop gets your name that he has power over you because he writes your name and you get a big fat ticket and you got a court date. <laughs> it's the same with the demons. That this is why they don't want to give their name because once they give up their name and their identity, they lose their power. It says, he replied, Legion is my name. By the way, the word Legion means four to 6,000 Roman soldiers. So that's a bunch. Mm. There are many of us, and he pleaded earnestly with them not to drive them away from that territory. The word drive them away, that's the word exorcise. That's what it means, exorcise, to drive away. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they pleaded with him, sent us into the swine, let us enter them, and left, and he left them, the Lord, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank into the sea where they were drowned, the swine herds ran away and reported the incident in the town and throughout the countryside. And the people came out to see what had happened. As they approached Jesus, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed, but now he was liberated, obviously, by legion, sitting there clothed and in his right hand, they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed the incident explained to them what had happened to the possessed man and to the swine. Then they began to beg him to leave their district. As he, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed pleaded to remain with him, but Jesus would not permit him, but told him instead, go home to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Notice, the possessed person wanted to become an apostle. Jesus says, no, your primary duty, your state in life is to evangelize and catechize your family. Go and tell them what I just did. Then the man went off and began to, began to proclaim it in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him, and all were amazed. And I'm amazed too, by the way, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesse, that message is so powerful for the family. Go out and evangelize the family. Go out, yeah. sanctify the temporal order. Jesse, you've always said that because you're quoting the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have Deal Hudson, old friend of ours, on today to talk about his new book. And it's really defeating this cancel culture mob. I like that mob. That's what it is. Uh, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess and I would be billionaires. Stay with us, family. You're going to be inspired by this interview. I promise you. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 526 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. 
I met Deal Hudson back in 1990. He's not going to remember. I met him <laughs> November 1990. Catholic Answers put on a conference in, right. at the Long Beach Marriott. It was called the Go Forth and Teach Conference. <laughs> I was a young rookie cop. Uh, I was uh, Deal was uh, one of the starting lineup. Uh, yep. It was uh, I remember Terry Barber was there. Absolutely, uh, Deal. Welcome to the <laughs> Terry and Jesse Show, my friend. I remember you both. <laughs> well, Deal, let's be honest. And I remember Terry published uh, yeah. a cassette tape of that speech. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Deal, I don't know if you remember even before that in the eighties, I met you. Uh, I don't. I mean, I'm. I was just in my 20s. I remember being very impressed with your conversion story. And also, I was very impressed, to be honest with you, on your politics. <laughs> because I'm a conservative, and you were, you, you, know, you impressed me as a young guy. I'm going, man, this guy knows his stuff. So I'm delighted you ended up writing a book that's trying to bring back the culture back to God. So uh, I, don't, I do not have a copy of the book, so I'm running a little— you know, on that side. But, Deal, before we get into the book, there was one thing I asked you with my wife back in the 80s. You knew C.S. Lewis, correct? I met C.S. Yeah, you met him. Wow. Yeah, not many people breathing can say that. Is that a fair statement? All right. Well, I'm sure there's a, a couple of them. Ah, I'm, ch- <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. And our radio show, we, we just talk like we're at the, Denny's, at the Denny's talking about things. But I wanted to ask you, and I asked you this question, why did C.S. Lewis not become a Catholic? And you gave me an answer. Can you tell our listeners what you Because he was Irish to the core. Yeah. He was from Belfast. Yeah, because of the anti-Catholicism and all the political... Is that a fair statement? Because I want you to... Got it with his mother's milk. And uh, I just think it was something that was a bridge too far, as they say. Okay, fair enough. He could could not cross the Rubicon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he could not, and of course, who knows, from God's vantage point, he may be considered a Catholic, because certainly uh, the bulk of his teaching, he was a medieval and Renaissance scholar, and they were all Catholics, except for the Islamic folks, Mm -hmm. and uh, so his mind and heart were shaped by Catholic teaching. Got it. Deal. So let's let's, let's jump get into right, your book. right into your book. You wrote a book. It's put up, published by Tan. It's called "The Desecrators: Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God." Why did you call the book uh, by such a title? Very simple reason. Mm-hmm. I got very tired of seeing articles about cancel culture, wokeness, uh, white privilege. <laughs> Uh, all those terms, because nobody was putting together where they were all coming from. No one was putting together, you know, what was their common starting point. And their starting point was desecration, meaning it was the denial and the deliberate destruction of all we hold sacred, not just as Catholics and Christians and Jews, but as Americans, as members of Western civilization, the civilization that created the natural law, that created democracy, that created science, that created so much that has benefited mankind around the world, they sought to destroy it, to desecrate it. 
deal. So uh, obviously this book affects anybody living right now in all 50 states in the United States of America, probably even beyond these borders, I would say. So what kind of an audience did you have in mind when you wrote the book, The Desecrators Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob, put out by 10 books? Well, first of all, Matt Schlapp and I wanted to write a book that anybody who's capable of reading could read. And I think we've done that. We've avoided, you know, difficult, abstract concepts that weren't necessary to make the point. Our audience is first the all the millions of people who wake up every morning, read the news, and tear their hair out. I mean, if this were a video, you'd see what this has done to my head. And there is such a tremendous, explosive level of frustration of people who can't understand why a trans woman, uh, that is a male, is allowed to compete against female college swimmers, who can't understand why there is critical race theory, the, six, the 1619 Lincoln Project, being taught to first, second, and third graders. We're, we can't understand why first, second, and third graders are being asked to, to uh, evaluate their white privilege or are being encouraged by their first grade teachers to consider becoming the opposite sex or trans. This is going on as we speak. And people really are almost violently angry about it. Do they also feel, Deal, uh, I think, not like we have any tools to, to react to this. Is your book a tool for those people to get and say, now I can answer some of these things? It's definitely a tool. Frankly, uh, Jesse and uh, Jack, my entire life, since I really entered college, University of Texas in 1967, has been devoted to defending tradition, yeah. to defending uh, Western civilization, defending the basic concepts. Thank you. I mean, I began as a Baptist. I ended up as a Catholic, natural road <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I thank the Baptists for you know, giving me the moment to really learn scripture, which is, of course, our foundation. And... I fought this all my life. I remember one of the first classes I taught in college, we were discussing abortion and ethics class. And a mother of three looked at me and she said, the reason I support abortion is that I love children. Now that was in 1980. Wow. So I knew, I mean, I already knew, but that was just a very dramatic example of how this country has been headed toward this moment, this kind of full flowering of desecration uh, since the 60s. This, we, sh we knew this was coming. We just didn't know when it would hit, and we didn't know how pervasively it would be accepted. Wow. So this desecration deal, it's, it's probably here right now. Would you say it's here with full force, with the maximum output, this... I mean, the, the, the time is here right now where, and also would you consider part of the desecrators because they're, they're making a lot of political haze, the temple of Satan. They're going from one place to another, putting, you know, uh, diabolical nativity sets. They're going and trying to do invocations in city halls. They're uh, 
They're uh, protesting at state houses against pro-life legislation. Uh, are part of the desecrators, I would say, obviously, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Occupy Wall Street. Would you say the Temple of Sin is part of this cabal of desecrators? Of course. Yeah. Satan is the great deceiver. Uh, Satan in Walker Percy, in one of his novels, Love of the Ruins, you know, Satan's a salesman. <laughs> He's an attractive, good, you know, fast talking guy. Yep. And so, and in Milton Satan, Milton Satan is a magnificent creature who says, evil, be thou my good. Yeah. Mm. So, yes. And this spiral toward nihilism yeah. is nothing other than a vast uh, rejection of God, which uh, has not reached its apex. Here, the apex politically will be when Christians or even Jews or even Mormon or even uh, Muslims are arrested for publicly rejecting homosexuality mm. and calling it unlawful uh, against God's law, sinful. And that has started happening in Canada in a few instances. Uh, when people start losing their jobs, not just teaching jobs, but any job for being pro-life, for being patriotic, for rejecting the idea that gender is something that one in, uh, chooses <laughs> by sort of, sort of intellectual means it's, or by pressure, really is what it is. I mean, all of these things, uh, if they become labeled legally as hate speech, which they are, it's happening. Uh, we will be right in the middle of a absolute Stalinist totalitarianism. All it takes is for the law and the courts to begin to apply hate speech statutes to Christian belief. Deal, I got a question because I haven't read your book. I'm being upfront. Most people, you know, interviewing have the book. I don't. But what else is in the book that's going to give mom and dad those tools to fight the culture of death? Well, among other things, yeah. it's going to, I have a chapter on, let's start using symbols. Mm. In other words, Black Lives Matter made a lot of hay with their symbol, uh, with, with the yellow paint on the street right. and all that kind of thing. And... You know, one reason I uh, I coined the phrase desecrators yeah. is to give people a, something to be, to know what the aggregate was yeah. that we're fighting. Got it. And so we need to take our crosses. We need to take our flag. Yes. I mean, I say in the book, what would happen if the number of people who voted for Donald Trump stuck flags in their front yard on the same day? Yep. Think about it. That would be revolutionary. Of course. And why don't they? Well, you know why they don't. They're afraid the neighbors are going to slash their tires or never speak to them again. Yep. They're scared. Or, or in the case of a friend of mine in Maryland, come across the street and threaten them with bodily harm. Wow. So, uh, but we have to use the symbols that we've inherited and think of new 
dramatic symbols that both stand for what we're against and what we're for. Very good. I, you know, uh, Jesse, go ahead, because the, yeah. the cross is my symbol to me. Uh, L- let me get one more question in before uh, we got a break coming break. in about a minute and a half. Yeah. And uh, maybe you could start uh, chewing on this in your book. You severely criticize you severely criticize the U.S. bishops. Oh, yeah. Why, why, why do you criticize them so severely? Hey, Dale, before you answer, that's a good teaser for the break, because we've been known to do that. I mean, we have Bishop Joseph Strickland on our network once a week, and he great criticizes— man. A great man. Yeah. A great man. You're right. He criticizes his own brother bishops, and so, and it, so do we. But it's not because we don't like We love them because we want them to confirm us on our faith, not uh, look the other way when things come down our right. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We have Deal Hudson on our line here talking about his new book. We're going to... Oh, the time clock looks a little odd there. I think we've got another minute. I've got music coming on. So, yes, I want to just say, Deal, you have uh, been one of the stall workers for promoting uh, authentic Catholic teachings, especially social teachings. We'll be... Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We got Deal Hudson on the line. I met Deal a long time ago. I've been a long time admirer of his work. Uh, and uh, we're, you know, we're on the same trenches. We're fighting the same battle just from different parts of the country. He came out with a new book. It's called The Desecrators Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob. And Reclaiming One Nation Under God, he wrote the book along with Matt Schlapp, another uh, phenomenal Catholic, another uh, iconic leader right now in the culture wars. Uh, so, Deal, you criticize the, the Catholic bishops uh, severely. Uh, why? Do they have, are they part of the problem? Because, because they totally deserved it. Yeah. I mean, this is just not arguable. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to their track record since Roe versus Wade, they've been they they've been solid supporters of the Democrat Party all during the period in which it slowly adopted the pro-abortion position, even the infanticide, infanticide position, and never publicly, as a group, reprimanded them. Now we all know there are individual good bishops. But, you know, after Biden got elected, you had some of those individual good bishops come out and say pretty strong stuff about, well, where was all that before? You know, during the 2016, 2020 election, uh, Strickland, Bishop Strickland of Tyler, was one, I think, of three, I was keeping track, bishops who cautioned Catholics about supporting either Hillary or Biden because of their out-and-out abortion position. But one thing I I note in my book, which was to me a shock, was a column by Archbishop Chaput, who had long been a bishop hero of mine, who said, quote-unquote, between Clinton, Hillary, and Trump, there was moral equivalency. What? Wow. I responded to that at the time, and the archdiocese responded to me. But when I saw that, I knew that uh, it would, the, the bishops were completely broken. And we all know that out of, out of the USCCB in Washington, D.C., 
it's just another wing of the Democrat Party, with some exceptions in the pro-life office, of course. But it has, you know, it keeps talking about how it's become more balanced and it's become more open. It hasn't. And you can you owe all that to David Carr, who helped set it up, who worked for Jimmy Carter, and who now is a celebrated professor at Georgetown. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, I could have been a lot harder on him than I was. You know what? Uh, you, you, uh, I'm quoting Father Richard Newhouse, rest in peace. I heard him say years ago in his uh, in his magazine, First Things, he said that the the U.S. bishops are the Democrat Party in robes or in prayer. And so there's a lot of people that, that again, Terry and myself, we agree with you. We're just, at this point in time, uh, we've seen that they've become just another wing of the Democrat Party. And that pains me to say that because all three of us are faithful, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, married devotee, Catholic Christians who love our, our church. Uh, and so by saying this, you know, we're not saying this gleefully. We're saying this painfully. We're saying this broken hearted. Terry, let me mention something else. Uh, Deal. Do you regard your book as, as hopeful? Would you say it's dark, pessimistic, or is it hopeful all in all? It's hopeful. I mean, we have chapters throughout that turn to the positive side of what can be done and what what uh, has already been done. You know, why we hope. Our, I have one chapter called One Moment to Shout. Another is Be Not Afraid. Another is uh, the using symbols and also the incredible importance of organizations willing to stand up and fight. Uh, you know, as as Catholic advisor to George W. Bush, uh, as someone who went on behalf of the White House to the Vatican a number of times, was very privileged to do that. You know, I, I, re I came to realize that inside the Vatican, there was a vast hatred for John Paul II. And this was before he, he you know, he got his Parkinson's, that the various dicasteries inside the, the Vatican were trying to work against uh, John Paul II and his bulldog, Joseph Ratzinger. And if you read this, the recent book called The St. Galen's Mafia, that is quite a good book, it describes how the uh, plan to get uh, Cardinal uh, Martino of Milan elected failed when Benedict got elected, and how once he got elected, this same mafia, which they call themselves the mafia, uh, planned and schemed to get Benedict to resign and elect Francis. So the point is, there's no innocence there. They have an agenda for the Catholic Church. It's based upon a Hegelian premise, that premise being that God in the church is developing toward his own absolute perfection. And in order for the church to become what the church should be, there must be change. We must overthrow dogmas and doctrines that we have held on to for centuries. And so what is being done is not just pastoral. I mean, that's the biggest fig leaf in all of church parlance, not just pastoral. It's rooted, doctrinal, and it's another form of desecration. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. we got Dr. Deal Hudson here. He just wrote a new book. It's called The Desecrators, 
Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under. Uh, it's put out by 10 books. He co-authored the book with Matt Schlapp. It's, 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 and we're going through the book here piecemeal. It's gonna, it seems like it's going to be uh, something that should be on every serious Catholic's library, and the content should be between your ears. Uh, Deal, how was it working with Matt Schlapp? I mean, I see him all the time on television. How was it working with him in this book project? I met Matt at the first event I did as head of Catholic outreach for uh, Bush Cheney administration, and he actually met Mercy at that event. So I am responsible for bringing Matt and Mercy together and for their five kids. Wow. Praise God. Praise the Lord. They're five girls. But anyway, Matt is one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. He's incredibly busy. I had to send a few, hey, what's going on, Matt? Notes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but once you know the time freed up, uh he he really came through and wrote some magnificent uh chapters. You'll notice it in the book that some chapters are written just by one of us individually. Some uh, addenda to the chapters are written by some of us individually. They're grayed out in the background. But uh, about 70% of the book we wrote together. And uh, he he was always inserting amazing practical insights from someone who had, he had taken Karl Rove's job as political director in the White House. Uh, he has been uh, head of the American Conservative Union and CPAC for many, many years. He comes in contact with every leader in American politics and abroad. And so what he brought to the table is something that really, uh, I should say, you know, uh, me, uh, what do they call it? Ham and egg. They ha- we ham and egg to the book. Hmm. So, uh, let me let me ask you a question about uh, there's a chapter in your book that you have emphasizing the use of symbols. What's that chapter all about and why? Well, we mentioned that a little while ago, didn't we? And that's that's in the chapter where I said, what would happen if everyone who voted for Trump put an American flag in their yard on the same day? What would happen? You'd get attacked. Your neighbors, you'd have your leftist neighbors probably coming after you. Well, what would happen is your leftist neighbors would realize that they don't have the majority the way they thought. They would also realize you're not afraid of them. They would also realize that half the people on the block aren't afraid of them. Yeah. And so they would back off, cowards as they are. And this is, and so what we talk a lot about courage and overcoming fear, uh, just as we've seen in the COVID mask thing, mm. uh, the media is able to instill such fear and such uh, timidity in the pu- general public. It's, uh, it's absolutely shocking because I know my, my uncle, back when I was in high school, he said, deal, 90% of people are followers. Uh, 8%, 8 or 9% can be strong if they're led, and 1% are leaders. What we need is a Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Mormon coalition that puts their symbol out, their symbol of protecting innocent life, 
their symbol of loving our nation and loving its founding. It's founded on basic nat Christian natural law principles, and it loving our, our Lord, our God. And we have to be, you know, seen, you know, the way all these heroes, these pro-life heroes are seen in front of abortion clinics, you know, for the last 40 years. You know, this has to be something that we all take upon ourselves to do, overcome the fear, you know, wear the symbol, let the symbol be seen on your person. Hmm. Amen. Deal, you know, I, I think the arguments from our side, the patriots, conservatives, people of faith, are starting to have an impact on, on, on liberals that have at least at least a rational, uh, and I say that because Bill Maher, who's obviously a liberal talk show host, he just came out over the weekend, he just, traf he just trashed leftists on a host of issues on his Friday night show, including those leftists that embrace the cancel culture. Uh, he, he, he criticized those on his, on his side of the aisle uh, for not being tough on crime. Uh, for instituting overbearing rules. And so, again, he's a left-leaning political commentator, but he's firing back at the left because he's saying that they've changed their politics. He doesn't recognize them anymore. We'll continue this conversation with Dr. Deal Hudson, his new book. It's called The Desecrators. Got a couple more questions to ask him. You can pick this book up by going to tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. The Desecrators by Dr. Deal Hudson will be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. This book should be in every Catholic household for such a time as this right now. It's called The Desecrators Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob. It's written by Deal Hudson, Matt Schlapp, because they not only lay out what the left has been doing here, the takeover of the media, publishing, educational institutions, corporate boards, labor unions, uh, professional sports, amateur sports, but they also give us the solution. And so this book, go to tanbooks.com. This is a book that every one of us that's a serious Catholic Christian should have in our shelf, and we should ingest its contents. Uh Deal, I want to ask you a question. you got another chapter in your book that addresses what you would call the hypocritical puritanism. What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. You'll notice how the people who support abortion on demand, who support homosexual, homosexual acts, homosexual marriage, who uh, are unconcerned about the divorce rate, who are unconcerned about uh, young men and women in school being, being asked to uh, question their sexuality. How, if a conservative or Republican makes a sexual error, how they all jump on him uh, with what we used to call high dudgeon, self-righteousness. And so, in other words, they're Puritans when it's politically convenient and and politically advan advantageous. Uh, and so they're hypocrites. I mean, look at the career of Ted Kennedy. Uh, he uh, got caught at least uh, having a woman in his car. And 
He went on to become a very applauded and a distinguished American senator who was given uh, a requiem mass at St. Matthew's Cathedral in Washington, D.C., wow. which Raymond Royal uh, criticized publicly and just got bombarded by Catholic leaders from around the country. Yeah, hypocritical Puritanism is exactly right. Good for Raymond. Uh, again, uh, I, I mentioned in the last at the close of the last segment that even even Bill Moore is starting to criticize the people on his side of the aisle. Again, he's he's uh, over the weekend. He even criticized the squad. He says that the squad has gone mental, and he said uh, liberals have their heads heads up there. You know what? So again, if somebody like him, who's a hard left commentator or at least left leaning co- political commentator, if somebody like him is starting to see the light. Uh, the arguments on our side are starting to win because, again, we got reason on our side. That's why everybody listening to the show should get the book, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming Our Nation, One Nation Under God. Uh, it's put out by 10 books, written by Dr. Deal Hudson. He's here with me right now. And it's also written by Matt Schlapp. This is the book where he lays out problem, solution, problem, solution. So, Deal, what is it that you're asking your readers to do i'm at we are asking them to be able to name what's wrong with our country why it is headed the direction it's headed why are they you know secretly teaching critical race theory to our kids at the at the you know first grade level uh and lying about it uh, why won't they let parents, why are they saying that parents have no role in their children's education and so forth? It's an act of desecration. They should name it. They should understand it's a, at at the root, an attack on Christian faith, Catholic faith, Jewish faith. It's attack on, it's an attack on uh, monotheism itself, the idea of one God the idea of God's law, the idea of Ten Commandments, and all of the moral un, uh, principles, virtues, and vices that are derived from those commandments. This is an attack on the very foundation of our civilization and our nation. Dill, I think one of the one of the demonstrations of how the left has become so unhinged and uh, the, I, I, I think I saw the desecration of this country. It was in my face night after night. And it really, it hasn't even, it hasn't even ceased that much. When, when President Trump became president of this country, number, number 45, and the continual uncharitable treatment, the vitriol from the media, from academia, uh, the vitriol from the other side. I have never seen such evil raise its head over the election of any president. I mean, it was so bad. You even had Satanists and witches that started organizing on the Internet and doing liturgical cursing, you know, when the moon was at a certain at a certain uh, juncture in the, in the cosmos. They were cursing the president and his administration. I've never seen the left go this crazy. And so 
my question to you is, obviously you argued that it's important to realize that politicians are, aren't saints. Why do you think that's so important to keep that in balance? Well, let me just say this. The reason they went crazy is because Donald Trump uh, popped their balloon, a balloon that had been growing since the 60s. The left has a plan. And Donald Trump delayed it. He stopped it for a while. This is why they were so furious. We have to understand that politicians have moral failings like the rest of us. We have to understand that uh, Democrats and progressives get a pass when it comes to their moral failings. Why? Because the media gives them a pass. Mm. Uh, our side, we don't get a pass. The media will put you on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post. The media will keep it, you know, put your face on a TV for night after night until you're thrown out by your own people. And so we can't turn our back on those who are fighting the good fight because something bad they did comes to light. I mean, what would happen if all of our sins came to light all of a sudden? Uh, it'd be pretty, you know, pretty hard to cast stones at anybody else, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's only two people that walk the face of the earth that were sinless and full of grace, and that's not anybody here. It's our Lord and Our Lady. And so I tell people, I tell Catholics, oh, but I don't like the way uh, you know Trump speaks and the way he tweets. I'm saying, you know what? Uh, forget about the way he talks. Look at what he does. Right. And what what he's done is uh, he's helped out uh, the cause of patriots, conservatives, and people of faith more than any other president in my lifetime, and that's undeniable. And he doesn't uh, want to kill babies. Yeah, amen. I mean, I just, he, he won my heart, I'm telling you, when he went, went and, and uh, you know, uh, several of his, uh, of his uh, speeches that he gave, there was this one, he brought in a Catholic nun to speak yeah. in, on stage with him. Uh, he, I, these, I, uh, I had something to do with that. I'm ah, sure. okay, okay. Then I heard uh, uh, one of his other speeches at the end. They play the uh, the Ave Maria in Latin. I'm like saying, "Are you kidding me? This guy's born and raised a Presbyterian. This guy understands uh, beauty and, and and truth when he hears it." I mean, there's just I could see that he had a lot of Catholic sensibilities. Deal. I mean, just everything around him. You could see that there was he was influenced by Catholic culture. Am I, I on to something? Well, he's a New Yorker, right? Okay. From Queens. Okay. And I mean, you can hardly be a New Yorker and not be influenced by Catholic traditions. And also, mm. Donald Trump was very good at, at embracing fellow travelers, regardless of, you know, what religion or race or whatever they came from. And, you know, he embraced them not just for the sake of his political agenda, but for the sake of their economic well-being. And what we've seen under Biden is nothing but, you know, a huge, uh, how shall I say, undermining all the advantages that Donald Trump had been put in, had put in place for especially the lower middle class to get back on their feet financially. 
Here's what's interesting. Uh, Donald Trump was born and raised a, a Presbyterian. I was born and raised a Roman Catholic Christian. Biden was raised a Roman Catholic Christian. There's, there's nothing. I have no commonality with Joe Biden. There's nothing I have in common with him, right. other than again, we're, right. both of us were born in, in the Catholic. I feel more a kindred spirit with with, with Donald Trump and with uh, Franklin Graham when I hear him speak than I do do with many Catholic politicians. I have no kindred spirit with them. So do you see why I criticize the bishop so severely? Mm -hmm. I mean, Joe Biden isn't the first uh, politician, Catholic politician, to turn out the way he did. The Democrat Congress is full of them. Dick Durbin, Nancy Pelosi. In other words, there was never any attempt on the bishops to direct them toward the truth and to say, look, if you're a Catholic, if you want to declare your Catholic public, you're Catholic publicly, you can no longer support federal funding for abortion and so forth. You cannot give money to Planned Parenthood. But they never did that. Therefore, we have Bidens and Pelosi's and Durbin's and a lot more. You know, you know, deal at uh, James chapter three, verse one, St. James, the apostle talks about don't many of you, uh, you know, uh, you know, desire to be teachers because teachers will be judged by a higher standard. And the teachers of the diocese are the bishops. They're called the teach, govern and sanctify. I'm just telling you. It's not going to be real pretty for many bishops that keep their mouth shut, and uh, it's called the sin of omission, uh, at their particular exit interview. I hope God has mercy. I hope they repent. Deal, thank you very much. We'll have to do this again. Hey, go to 10books.com. Go to 10books.com. Get the book, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob, written by Deal Hudson, Matt Schlapp. We'll have him on again and again. Thank you, Deal, for what you do for the church and for our country. God bless you, my friend. Keep the faith. Thank you. You've been listening to the, the Terry and Jesse show. Remember, pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear your prayer. Let's cry out to the Lord. God, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. As Catholics, let's not forget, we know how this ends. We win. Complete wipeout. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God bless you. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel.